You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hey, podcast fans! Thanks so much for joining us at BroadwayCon this year. If you love podcasts half as much as you love Broadway. You'll love our brand new event, PodX, coming later this year. PodX is a brand new convention. Imagine BroadwayCon, but for podcasts, coming to Nashville from May 31st to June 2nd. We'll have live shows all weekend, amazing panels, games, workshops, and that's just the start. Come see your favorite podcasters from Nancy, The Hamilcast, Pottercast, Oh No, Ross and Carey, Undisclosed, and so many more. Check us out and get tickets at podx.com. We can't wait to see you in Nashville. I feel like this table is really oppressive because they're wearing, like we're all wearing fabulous outfits, but you can't see it. <laughs> and that makes me very sad. But just pretend you can see our feet. So, hi, I'm I'm Deep Tran, a senior editor at American Theater Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends <laughs> to people. Yeah. Two people who see way too much theater. Like, how many shows did you see last year, Jose? Two hundred fifty-three plus one, because I saw one after we had recorded our episode. So two hundred fifty-four shows. Yeah, I saw I saw two after we record, we recorded our last episode. So my count's now up to one fourteen, which makes me feel like a slacker compared to <laughs> this person. So if you have not listened to our podcast or watched our videos. The way the reason we came about was because we realized Jose and I have other hobbies outside of going to the theater. Like I like lifting weights. He likes going to the movies. And in our various friend groups, we're usually the token theater person in our friend group, outside of you know theater friends. And then when we go to the theater, we're like the token you know person of color, young person. You know all of the other things that aren't white men. <laughs> So we thought, let's get together and talk about theater because who else are we going to talk about it to? So thank you, Jose, for starting this project. And we want to introduce our guest that we have today. Uh, I we're taking we're taking turns introducing them because we came up with you know creative introductions. So I'm introducing Diana O, who is an actor, singer-songwriter, performance artist, multi-hyphenate, fabulous creature who <laughs> makes me tongue-tied every time I talk to her for some odd reason. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, and you may know her from my lingerie play, the installation she did in Times Square, and at Ralstick Playwrights Theater. And she recently finished, finished up a residency at American Repertory Theater in Boston. Still going. Still going. Still going. You're going. Oh my God! You, you work so much. <laughs> and if you head to Bushwick in the next three weeks, you can have a sleepover with Diana for her Infinite Love Party, a a dance party slash open mic slash potluck. Oh, I hate slash, the word open mic. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, what, what, what was the term you used for it? Uh, liberated performances. Liberate performances slash potluck and sleepover. It's a lot and it's real fun. I went last night and I got I had and I did more cardio than I've done in the last six months. 
And uh, I have to say something, and it's like one of the things that makes me really sad is that every time that I've read a press release describing our other guest, Max Vernon, that uh, they usually just say, Max is a composer, lyricist, but they need to start including fashion icon. <laughs> <laughs> so let's make that happen. So Max is extremely talented. Like, you might know Max's musicals like uh, The View Upstairs, K-pop, and during over the spring... You're also going to be doing a residency at Joe's Pop, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is so exciting. Like, we went to one of the shows. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Come for the costume changes. Stay for the songs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, we just wanted... No, usually for our YouTube videos, we basically interview our guests. And on our podcast, we talk about shows and theater trends. And so for this, we're just going to combine all of those Everything. things. It's going to be all the things. So first off, we wanted to talk about like what 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 in twenty. So recently, I've been watching a lot of Marie Kondo on Netflix, and you know, <laughs> thinking about things that bring me joy and things that don't. And so, looking back on twenty eighteen, what did not bring you joy, and what and what did you leave behind, and what are you looking forward to in twenty nineteen? Wow, in general, yeah. Twenty eighteen. Um, I mean, I think I spent 2018 on, um, on traveling and healing and actually running away and actually getting out of our siloed, you know, walls that we're in. We're very lucky here in New York. And I, I, I literally ran away. I went to the jungles and I went to the mountains and I went by myself. And um, I think in 2019 that meant I just get to, like, swim in joy you know, I did all the work. I did all the work of, like, healing and, like, you know, what does it really mean to throw your middle fingers up to the patriarchy and what does that look like in your body and how can our bodies contain the universe that we want to live in? Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing I was not feeling for 2018 was, like, half the people in this country. Um, <laughs> um, but kind of, like... Diana O, through my Joe's Pub show, what was really cool is I had an opportunity to create these kind of like queer utopian bubbles for, you know, whatever the duration was of my Joe's Pub show where I could live my fantasy of like what I want the world to be. And that is what I want more of in 2019. Like, I, uh, someone I know says, like, you have to have one word for 2019. Um, and mine was power, which sounds like crazy because we associate power with like. I don't know, Trump and everything that's going on right now, but I actually think it's important for queer people to accumulate power um, and to feel good holding their own power, and so that's what I want. Why are you leaving behind in 2018? I don't even remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lots of, uh, I mean, we started this project, which is like extremely exciting, so rather than leaving it behind, I'm looking forward to seeing where we're going to take it next. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, and... For me, I feel like as a, as a New Yorker, there's always like that self-critical part of my brain that says I should be doing more and I'm not doing enough and I'm not good as good as like all these other people that I admire. So what am I even doing with my life? And so I think in 2018, going into 2019, I just want to leave that critical part of my brain behind and do a lot more like self-forgiving of myself. For not always matching up to like the really high standards Asian mom that's in my brain. Mm. <laughs> that's so wild because you're like a deity to so many people that you even like feel that. 
like hearing you say that, you know. I mean, who doesn't know, like, we all know Deep. Like, everyone knows Deep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, all follow me on Twitter. But, <laughs> but, I, th- but I think everyone, don't, and I feel like we all feel that, mm. that sense, because, like, I, in New York in particular, there's always a relentlessness yeah. to have to be bad, be best. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, there's like that, um, Martha Graham quote, right? That like, for the life of an artist, there is no satisfaction whatsoever. There's only a divine dissatisfaction that keeps us more alive than the rest and keeps us, cre- you know, continuing to create and all of that. And I think that that's probably on some level why you came to New York because it's full of other people who are never satisfied with anything they accomplish. But objectively, if you can zoom out of your life, you can be like, oh, I'm actually doing a lot of amazing shit. Like, you have a panel right now. <laughs> And people actually showed in up. In this oh my cavernous, God. gigantic room. <laughs> With crystal chandeliers. Yeah. You've made it. <laughs> so how about we talk about theater and what we're looking forward to this year? Oh, I was doodling. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm like drawing hearts. I c- couldn't tell if that was a penis or a heart. Um, <laughs> it could be both. Yeah. All the things. And a veg. Like all at once. It's everything. <laughs> Gay theater. Yay. 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 Yeah, we're going to have to take a picture of that for a show notes. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I'm definitely looking forward to I mean, joy. I'm looking forward to the way that people just kind of lose their shit. Like, I just feel like we're, we're at a point where, you know, like lying isn't working and hiding isn't working and like protecting the wrong stuff isn't working anymore. And everyone's got very strong opinions and I definitely feel like we're in the middle of a renaissance we're in this artistic renaissance because we are in a renaissance of the world coming to to um, revelation there's like a lot of revelation happening a lot of people coming to of like oh my god I was I was asleep for so long and that's really exciting to me that I feel like we're just gonna watch really like loud and also quiet, and also maybe simple. I think I think people might also go for a little more simplicity, because um, theater is also this thing where it's like we, where everyone's always strapped for cash, and and where everyone's like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we're just so transparent about it to the to the point that it's like, oh my god, like ah, this is such an impossible art form that maybe people will slow down and be like, maybe we don't need the crystal chandeliers and we can settle for. Swabarski. <laughs> oh, what are the chandeliers made of at, at your show? There's three chandeliers at the Infinite Love Party, and they're very colorful. Those came for free from the material for the arts. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to go to the materials for the arts. If anyone can, like, sign me in, please. I just need to, like, raid them for all their fabrics. Um, theater, uh, what well, I'm really looking forward to, hopefully, at least in my coming from my perspective of being in the musical theater community, is I want more subversive uh, musical theater. Um, there's not too many of us, it feels like, who are trying to make that, but when I think of growing up, what made me obsessed with m- musical theater was all the musicals that my parents did not want me to see. My mom did not want me to see Hedwig or Rocky Horror because it uh, encourage gender nonconformity. My dad did not want me to see Rent because I had an uncle who died of AIDS. I don't think either of them wanted me to see hair because everyone is naked. And now those are all the things that I am obsessed with. And um, I feel like true uh, theater can and should be subversive. And I don't know when 
you know, us in the musical theater community bought into this lie that musical theater has to sound like uh, mayonnaise on white bread, but I am, Mm. like, sick of it. And I just, I feel like what people think is controversial seems so basic to me, and I feel like we need to actually swing the pendulum back so far that things that feel radical now actually become just, like, completely mainstream. Right, I think, and I think that's part of the reason why Jose and I started this project, because we wanted to talk to theater makers that excited us, and most of the time, those people weren't white people. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah, but the thing, I mean, or like people working in the, the, the traditional theatrical paradigm, and so what I'm really excited about is, like, being a person of color, being queer, being you know disabled, like those aren't going to be seen as outside of the norm. Like it will just be a thing that it, that is established in the world of a play, and we were not going to have to explain why you have a black person on stage because pe- pe- those we all exist in the world, and we shouldn't have to justify our own existence in the world, and we shouldn't have to do it on stage either. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, extremely white. I don't know if you couldn't tell (laughs) from the eyeshadow. I am very white. But I also feel like it's, like, yes, like, representation, diversity, inclusion is so important. But also, like, when we talk about diversity, inclusion, like, I want diversity and inclusion of style, of tone. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like when I'm seeing theaters program their seasons, it's, like, regardless of who is the creator, it's, like, it's all in the same realm of, like things that are arranged from one to four and nothing from five to ten and I just want everyone to crank up the dial yeah Um, yeah. and diversity of of economic class I mean I've spent so Mm. much like if you ever labeled me a theater artist I would just cringe and whenever it's funny whenever I get the title performance artist because it was like oh did I give that to myself like I don't know you know I'm so much more comfortable just calling myself a generative artist that makes things and I think about you know and you know, I, I feel like I rarely actually ever park in a theater and make work in a theater. It just happens to be the, the this, it's always kind of this accident that I end up there, but like mm-hmm. I have so much pleasure making things in lobbies of libraries and doing concerts. And this is why music is always going to be the best art form because you wait for no one's permission to do it. You just go and there are ven- endless venues everywhere and you're not dealing with bureaucracy and you know like having to like package yourself and sell yourself and put a price tag on you you know it's just kind of as a way to democratize art which is so awesome um and i think as people you know people are reading there's this I know, I know. There's this book called White Fragility. La, la, la. Everyone needs to read it. It's really great. Um, but it, but um, what were we talking about? Oh, what well, we're Peter. looking forward to in 2019, and it just kind <laughs> of... Oh, just kind of went <laughs> Yeah, that's thing. fine. That's yeah. I want to see Hades Town. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see Damon Dono in Chaps again. That was nice. <laughs> oh, my God. And I want to see uh, Gary, obviously. Oh, yeah. And Glenda Jackson. In King Lear. Can I tell you, I have like the best Glenda Jackson story at the Drama Mm. Desk Awards last year. um, I went up to Glenda Jackson, and that was weird in general because like the day before the Drama Desk Awards was like the post premiere party, and I went and I got roofied, and I like woke up in my bed covered in like vomit, and I had no recollection of how I got there. And I looked at my watch, and I was like, oh my God, I've got three hours before the Drama Desk Awards. So I like wiped off. I don't, I mean, I don't remember any of it, so I don't feel traumatized, but. 
I like wiped off all the vomit and I like threw on some eyeshadow and put on like a sparkly gown and I went to the Drama Desk Awards and all of a sudden I was like taking photos of like Bernadette Peters and Laurie Metcalf and I went up to Glenda Jackson. I was like, oh my God, Glenda Jackson, I loved you so much and Three Tall Women. And she was like, really? <laughs> and she was like, thank you. I'm going to go outside now and smoke a fag. And I was like, I'm right here. But, uh, but yeah, I really want to see her in Lear. <laughs> What are you looking for, Judy? Uh, I think I said Damon Dono and Chaps. Does that? <laughs> I think so. Because <laughs> this would be like what? the third year, I guess, that Oklahoma would be like, you know, a show that we could include in our list, right? Yeah, yeah. And the thing, I mean, we're, if we're talking about reinvention, we should, like, reinvention, mm. of, reinvention of, you know, classics, reinvention of who gets to occupy these spaces. Mm. Because what I love most about that Oklahoma was, like, it was, yes, diverse, but also Ali Stoko was in it. And they didn't have to talk about that her character had a wheelchair because that's just part of the world. And it, re- and it reorchestrated that iconic score so it made it sound like, a, made it sound like a, con- a contemporary score, which isn't a thing that happens very often in contemporary musical theater or mainstream musical theater, would you all say? No? That scores get reorchestrated. Oh no! That that mu- that musical theater composers are. That's what I loved about K-pop was like it sounded like thing, like what's on the radio, and Hamilton oh, sounds yeah, yeah, like what's yeah, on yeah. the radio. Yeah. Well, that used to be the norm. Yeah. Um, that was the norm up until like the '60s, and then um, I think what started happening is you frequently had more theater creators whose central reference point was other theater creators and you started getting like a snake eating its tail kind of Mm. a thing and the the creators of theater were no longer actually riffing on popular culture or of popular culture it just started becoming this bubble and that actually i think is a a major problem of uh relevancy for the art form but yeah i mean when oklahoma was first created like those people like they were the rock stars of their era 100%. 100%. <laughs> Which is so funny because now we look at like Oklahoma as being milk dose, but actually was incredibly radical when it was created. And that's what I, I mean. Like, we should all write the Oklahoma of our era. And when I say that, I mean like not 90% of what's coming out of BMI, but what captures that spirit of radical change in the theater. Because I think when Oklahoma happened, people were fucking pissed. Like, yeah. that first performance, like, people were, like, screaming at the stage. Like, for things that seem, like, so not interesting now, like, just the fact that people were using song to explore their emotions, people are like, what? This is not a Cole Porter song? What's going on? Uh, it's so dark. It's not happy. Someone dies. Yeah. And so now, I don't know if, like, the modern-day equivalent of that is, like, snuff pornography on stage, but we should do it. <laughs> And I think when you were talking about reinvention, like, it makes me think that that it's, like, I'm really attracted to when people really lean into themselves, and I don't mean, like, the carbon copy of what they think themselves should be, and I don't mean, like, historically what has been in the past, and I don't mean, like, here's the version of what is going to sell, but really, really deeply, like down into your ancestry roots, you know, and I think, you know, you're a pro at this, like, you just lean so hard into yourself, and, like, there's a lot of liberation in that kind of authenticity, um, and I'm really excited for that, and I'm also, I'm, I'm tired, because I, I slept over at the theater last night, so if I'm doodling, it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) in a 
and mindset. I feel like I should have gotten you coffee. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, sorry. I'm great. It's amazing. <laughs> what are you looking forward to, Jose? Well, whatever's happening next door, I guess. It sounds like fun. Uh, I've, I've, I've been saying this since the election in 2016, and I'm not kidding. And like every time I get sick, that I've been sick during the past like uh, two years, even right now when I'm re- recovering from like, a sinus infection, I pray every morning, and I'm just like, please let me live just enough time to get to see Kelly O'Hara and kiss me Kate. <laughs> That's all I want. I can die the day after I go see that. So, do you know if Kelly's here? No. no. Oh, okay. Well, if she ever listens to this, like, I'll, I'm staying alive for you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. And uh, Max and Diana, like, I love that the two of you do so much with the audience. And I don't want to say, like, audience participation, because that's kind of, like, uh, corny. But, for instance, like, I was at, at your show, Diana, last night, and it's... Party, party, it's a party. It's, it's a, a party. party. Sorry. <laughs> I brought food. Yeah. You brought food, yeah. <laughs> and you oh, oh, I brought um, empanadas. Ooh, I love vegan empanadas. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, you missed a vegan empanadas. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> but do you, do you remember when, like, was the first time that you were, like, maybe, like, sitting at a show, and you were just, like, dying to, like, jump on stage, and you were, like, just sitting here in the dark, just... Watching is bullshit. Like, I want to be a part of it, and then I want people who come to my parties and shows to be a part of the experience also. What, what was the question? Do you remember <laughs> if there was, like, any, like, specific instance when you were growing up, maybe? Uh, so when like you were seeing, the, yeah. Uh, when my friend took um, me and a bandmate and a, my bandmate's mother to go see The Color Purple, and it was, like... The second they started singing and everybody came up on stage, tears already on my feet, on my feet, on my feet and crying. And that was it. And it was like I couldn't be further away and I needed to be closer. Um, I remember that being a really powerful moment. Um, You know, anytime anytime I go see a concert, you know, something that my friends teach me all the time is that like it's all theater and it's all performance and it's all around us and we're doing I mean this is the like we just put on a four person show it's happening right now you know and that's why it's terrifying (laughs) can we win a Tony for this then yeah Um, and uh, you know it's like when I go see like concerts that that does for me um, who I mean is Hendrix well who's the the person who was in residency before you Nona Nona, Nona Hendricks. Nona oh, yeah, Hendricks. from LaBelle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When she, I went to one of her nights and then um, it was, you know, it was just wild and awesome and Max does it to you. Like, it just makes you want to, it just, how do you not feel uh, an energy there? I, um... I don't know. I think something that maybe exploded my idea of wanting to actually participate or be on stage, even though I grew up seeing so much theater, I never really had that impulse. And then I think it was about 10 years ago now, the original, before it transferred to Broadway, Diane Paulus revival of Hair that was in the Mm. park, in Central Park. Mm. And um, it was like only two weeks into the run. It was extremely hard ticket to get. So I had to actually sleep over in a sleeping bag (laughs) overnight in Central Park. Um, like literally on the ground uh, so I was just I got that was like the only way I can survive this is just to get extremely high um, mm-hmm. and so I was like very stoned out of my mind for like 
24 hours straight by the time I actually made it into the theater to see the show. But then it felt so right because I was super high and these characters were like pretending to be high smoking their herbal cigarettes and we were all in like (laughs) Central Park. And then at the end of the show during like, and I was feeling during the show because it's such a happening um, and I was feeling like there wasn't that typical proscenium theater divide of like we're all in the dark and they're all there performing for us. Like it felt more immersive in that way that we were a part, we were almost, the way it was staged was that we were like a part of the tribe, which is something that did not carry over to the Broadway um, transfer. Uh, it did make me want to jump on, up on stage, so I was so thrilled when during Let the Sun Shine In, they were like, jump up on stage, and then I was still high, and so I was like, yes! And uh, yeah, so that was great. And then the next experimental version of hair, everyone gets naked in yeah. the audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, Diana, I remember this blog post you wrote back in 2015 about how when you started, when you decided you wanted to be an actor, you wanted to be the next Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. and realizing that, oh, this industry isn't kind to anyone who isn't like a size zero waif. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ha- and so, like, how did the two of you like embrace like your own? I don't want to say weirdness because that is that's kind of pejorative. No, I, but like, I love I self-identify as weird. So yeah, yeah that's like, my pronoun. But like, <laughs> I, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> but how how did you discover your own style and become comfortable with the fact that what I want to make is outside the traditional paradigm and it will not always be welcomed and I won't always get the money for it? And how did you? accept that and make a living from that. I'll jump in, because I'm nodding my head. Um, I, I'm, and I, also, I made you a Tony, so here. <laughs> Tony, you win, you're welcome. It's everything he's ever wanted. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so I was, you know, I, I was acting and auditioning and all those things, and doing plays and I remember I did a regional play and I was like that is the last time I act in a regional play that is just the not play? for mm. <laughs> yeah it's fine and you know and there was just a lot of you know a lot of uh, uh, capital R racist things that happened and I was done I didn't have the patience for it I was like my light's too bright I I don't want to be a plug and play kind of artist and um, at that point, um, you know, there was just so much happening. Somehow it led me to the My Lingerie play installations of standing outside in My Lingerie in Times Square with the signs, with all the reasons of why I was deciding to take a stand. And it was, it was just this organic thing. Um, um, and songwriting just kind of came really naturally and so once once that hit and once it was like oh this is as simple as like singing music to a room of people I mean that was it you know and and from there I mean there's also the longer version there's like the real like like here's exactly the step-by-step thing that happened in a very practical way and like the gifts that were given to me and the opportunities that were were given to me um but I remember it took uh, I was ask, I was acting in a Rob Askins play um, that he had written for this theater company called Terranova Collective, and Terranova Collective isn't there anymore. Um, but the artistic director Jennifer Ken- Jennifer Conley Darling was like, "We do these um, these solo show festivals. Do you want to write a solo show?" And 
uh, I told her, like, I have never done that before in my life, um, and all I have are all these songs, and I hadn't ever played these songs out loud in the public before. It was just all for my, like, private use, for whatever reason. And, and she was like, okay, awesome, you have a month deadline. Mm-hmm. And then in one month, I did my first piece of solo work, and it was all music, and... Um, that was kind of my first segue into it, you know. But it was something I never really, I didn't, it's, that's what I mean by it's just like this accidental drop-in by just kind of being your open channel, you know, by cooking like 10 different dishes and you never know who, who's, who's going to want to eat it, but like you're cooking it because you, you love cooking. Great. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound really crazy, um, but so growing up I was extremely bullied um, and so, uh, in middle school, I kind of embarked on this project. Uh, I don't even think Amazon has this anymore, but it, like in the early days of Amazon, they had this thing called like listomania where like mm-hmm. people could, before the algorithm existed, like people could make their own lists. So like, if you like this, you would like these, you know, 50 things. And, um, I was like so attacked during school and people were constantly harassing me for my identity. And I felt the only way to cope with that was to completely deaden myself inside. And so I would search lists on Amazon for like the most disturbing art of all time so that I could like harden myself by seeing shit that was like so fucked up that like nothing would affect me anymore. But it kind of had the opposite effect because the art that I was consuming on these lists at the age of like 13, 14 was like David Lynch and like weird Japanese art films. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden I was like listening to like Yoko Ono and like, I don't know, I just got into really weird art and that actually empowered me to let my freak flag fly and I also now in retrospect feel like all that bullying uniquely prepared me for a career in the arts because I've already experienced a lifetime of rejection and I didn't kill myself so I kind of like don't give a fuck what these like 70 year old gatekeepers think of me and also all the people I idolize um, growing up were people like you know Lou Reed, David Bowie and like those are all people that kind of like radically shook up the art forms that they were in so that's always what I've aspired to I've never wanted to seat the table I've wanted to make my own table and invite the weirdos to sit with me at that because like we're going to have a better dinner party anyway um, so yeah better dress dinner party yes <laughs> Wait, so what's like good tactics for building a, thin, a thick skin um I think rejection and, and surviving it, you know, I mean, I think, and throwing yourself out there constantly. I mean, there's that, you know, saying of like aim for 200 rejections a year uh, or whatever, but the, and that's, you know, like any, all those kind of like truisms or sayings, I kind of like roll my eyes at, but there is a little bit of a grain of truth to that of like, when you've only had one rejection in your life, you feel like 100% of the pain of that. Whereas when you've had two, maybe you feel 50% of the pain and so on and so on and so on. I mean, it always sucks, you know, in this industry, we're constantly getting rejected, but the more you put yourself out there, I think the less you, the easier it is to shirk off the rejection and the, the, the more certain you are of your own ability. And I also think finding your community, like if you know, like I don't feel the pain of rejection anymore unless I feel like the audience that I'm creating my, the work that I want to create for does not like my work. Like if they, like if I wrote the view upstairs and like those like weird queer kids showing up to the theater with like glitter on their face hated my show, then I would feel deeply depressed. If like some like 60 year old, you know, like white man whose favorite musical is, uh, I'm not reading you for saying Kiss Me Kate, even though you really want to see it. But if it is Kiss Me Kate, then I'm kind of like, 
you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't care as much. But yeah, I think part of it is knowing who your community is and knowing who you're creating work for, and then it's easier to have a thicker skin. I know. The, I think it also brings up the 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 question of like, what is your art healing and what is your art harming? You know, like, is your art calling causing healing or harming, and who are you trying to heal? You know, because not every medicine is going to work for every person. If you have cancer, then I'm gonna give you cancer medicine. You know, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. So, um, uh, you know, and you want to be a good doctor. You want to be, I mean, something that I've gotten really comfortable for with 2019 is like, wow, artists, cool. Like we are really signing up to be superhuman. And I don't mean this in like that, like, I'm like so superhuman. I mean that in like, our jobs are literally to observe and digest and and like be extremely curious about the human condition and become superhuman in that way um and then in terms of like the the thick skin stuff i agree wholeheartedly about like surrounding yourself with the community that you want to be accountable to um and your collaborators and like and like I cry so much with my collaborators, and they have seen me naked so much. And without those two things, it's like you're, you're a shell of a person. Because, yeah, it's like not everyone's going to love you. And get really comfortable with not everybody loving you, and nor do you want that. A lot, you're, uh, we're afraid of each other sometimes, and that is okay. I used to grow up being like, I want everyone to love me, and it was like, you know what? It's all good. Also, I think what's so important is, um, you know, even though I was just talking about rejection, I think it's really important to cultivate the memories of, like, good experiences in your head, too. You know, like, you know, even if you have been spending five years trying to get your production, if along those five years you've had these moments, you know, in workshops or readings where you're seeing artists bring your work to life and you have those moments of, like, deep joy of creation in a room, like, taking those experiences and fashioning those into an armor that you can wear um, and kind of insulate yourself a little bit from the direction of being like, God, I'm in this, like, horrible moment right now, but I remember that feeling of joy and I will be back there soon enough. I think that's why glitter, I don't know if this is what it is for you, but I think that's why, like, the sparkle and, like, all this stuff, it's just, um, I don't know, for me, it's it's like a light. Like, let me turn my light on, you know? Yeah. I will say I had to move out of my last apartment, though, because of glitter, because when I was um, when I was making all the costumes for my Joe's Pub show, I finally just got, like, tired of, like, you know, going so meticulously with all the glitter, and then I just started spraying shit with, like, uh, adhesive and then just dumping buckets of glitter on top of it and being like, I'll just sweep it up afterwards. But then, like, every time, 5% of the glitter would never leave the floor. And then after, like, about two months of doing that, it literally turned into a health hazard where it felt like I could, like, when I was just walking through the apartment, I could see particles of glitter, like, floating through the air. And I was getting, like, coal, like, the gay version of coal miner lung or something. <laughs> and <laughs> I had to leave the apartment. <laughs> um, but if you die from too much glitter, it's going to be so fabulous. <laughs> so what would Carrie Fisher once say about, like, she died in moonlight strangled by her own bra, but with glitter? Like, I, I've always wanted to ask the two of you, like, if there's, if there was, like, let's say, like, there's, like, maybe, like, a gazillion or maybe Jeff Bezos is feeling good about the arts and it's hiding here somewhere. 
and he was to give you like you know like here's all the money you want, and I want you to like grab like a classic play or a musical and just like Diana and Max the fuck out of it. Like, what would you pick, and what would it look like? Sex education. Any book. I would just take our sex. I would take all of everyone's sex education. Wait, are we saying <laughs> if we had his money that we could do anything with it, or like specifically it has to be for adapting an old classic? You can. You have to adapt like a classic and like no, reinvent like, it. I would take by the, Shakespeare. No, I would take, <laughs> but yeah, I would take like the like the text of whatever we're using in schools right now, whatever we're learning from. I want to adapt it into. I don't know. Fireworks, strobe light, like <laughs> song, vulva, penis, other body parts, breasts. Well, first I would try to like um, get Jeff Bezos to give me his money to do something else other than adapt a classic. <laughs> but if I absolutely could not convince him to do something more worthwhile with his money, I think what I would say is let's adapt Caucasian Chalk Circle but make it about people arguing on social media um, <laughs> I don't know if you know Caucasian Chalk Circle it's about like these two mothers basically like a biological mother and a person who actually has raised this child and they're arguing over who has the right of like true parentage over this child and there's this like crazy ass judge at the end who draws up a circle and they're like both grab onto one of the arms of this child and whoever can pull the child into their end of the circle owns that child and then the actual the the biological mother's like tugging at her child like she's going to rip the child's arm off but the the woman who's raised this child actually lets go because she's the one who truly loves this child and does therefore doesn't want to like hurt this child by pulling so hard and like ripping off this child's arm in a tug of war battle with this woman and so the judge was like you're the actual mother so it was like psych um <laughs> but i think I've noticed so much in the past couple of years on every time I get onto social media, it feels like it's Caucasian chalk circle over like who has the right to argue um, ownership over this ideology. And I, so I think there could be a really powerful adaptation of that set in that, that kind of a uh, technological context. Yeah. I hope it happens then. So usually on the podcast and our web series, we play games with our guests, but uh, we are doing something special because it's BroadwayCon and we're going to play a game with two audience members. So yeah. who wants to do this? I promise it's going to be fun. There'll be free stuff. Yes. There's free stuff. And spoiler alert, we have prizes and there are no losers. So <laughs> Yay. we need two people, so raise your hands and hi. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Don't be shy. Yay. Like I'm Yay. like I'm like super stressed and like nervous. So Yay. Yay. Hi. So let me give you this mic. Oh, first, um, give us give us your name, where you're from, and best thing you've seen lately. Okay, I'm Drew. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, but I go to school here. Um, and the best thing I've seen lately is probably a year to come at the La Jolla Playhouse. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, they, them, and weird. I think one of the best things I've seen lately is Max's show at Joe's Pub. Yay! <laughs> you all have great taste in theater. I love both of those venues. <laughs> Okay, so this is going to work like this. I'm going to ask 
uh, the two of you, the same five questions, and it's a multiple choice uh, kind of thing. And it's all like Broadway trivia. And then deep here is going to be keeping a tally of how many points you have, and whoever has more points in the end is our first prize. Okay. 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 All right. So are you both ready? Yes. Sure. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to like buzz because we don't have a buzzer. So you don't have to like do anything like you just have to like pick one. So, okay. So which of these classic musicals did not win the Tony Award for Best Musical? Is it West Side Story, uh, Gypsy, Follies, or All of the Above? All of the Above. Uh, yeah, I was going to say all of the above, too. You're both right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, so second... I couldn't answer that, so good for you. <laughs> all right. So do, do we have any, like, conspiracy theories about why they didn't win, though? For extra points, maybe? <laughs> Because the Tony pickers have bad taste. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> won the year of Follies, because that was also the year of Hair, and Hair didn't win either. That's insane. Like, yeah, like a, a. It was probably like roar of the grease paint, smell of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, You're like, some, something dumb. Yeah. Something no, dumb. It was, Are you looking at what? what, what Google. Help it us. Was, <laughs> I know this. Like, Siri. it was, it was uh, a musical adaptation of uh, To Gentlemen, Gentlemen of Verona oh, that wow. actually played in a park and then moved to Broadway. No, that was after Hair. That because that was also Galt McDermott, and they gave that to him, even though that's kind of a shitty musical because they felt bad about not giving him the Tony for hair. <laughs> uh oh. oh. Fight, fight, fight. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to our second question. Then. Uh, which of these is not a character in Stephen Sondheim's company? Is it Amy, Peter, Jenny, or Herbert? <laughs> Herbert? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I have no clue, so I'm with Herbert. I'm just imagining you. Yeah, you're both right again. <laughs> Thank you for always going first. <laughs> okay, uh, third question. Uh, Patty Lupone, is Patty around here somewhere? She's, she's in the well, back. <laughs> all right. Uh, Patty Lupone made her Broadway debut in this Chekhov play. Was it the seagull, the cherry orchard, three sisters, or Uncle Vania? <laughs> wow, now you're making me... Okay, um, let's see. I've only heard of two of those. So, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, the cherry orchard sounds fun. So <laughs> I'm going to guess three sisters. And you are correct. Cool. Yeah, it was okay. three sisters. Isn't that weird? Like, I, I would have, could have sworn she made her debut like a musical. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. She oh. did yell at someone for turning off the, for having their cell phone on, though. Probably back in the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like a time traveler kind yeah. of situation. Okay. Uh, do anything, so. Question number four: True or false? Even though she's won five Tony Awards, I'm already angry at this question. <laughs> Even though she's won five Tony Awards, Angela Lansbury has never won a competitive Oscar. She's been nominated three times, or an Emmy Award for which she's been nominated 18 times. 
Given so, how angry yeah. you are, I'm going to say true. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of spoiled it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. <laughs> and you're both right. Can you imagine, like, she was, like, in so many, like, seasons of Murder, She Wrote. I know. Murder, She Wrote. Hello. She, she won a Golden Globe. Though. Obviously, the gays weren't voting. <laughs> She'll get her Lifetime Emmy at some point. Yeah. Okay. They're going to you know if anything happens don't. to Angela Lansbury after this, it's totally your fault. <laughs> you know something we don't, Max? <laughs> okay, and our last question is, and this is like a really uh, important piece of trivia, I would oh, say, okay. for anyone here who's an aspiring actor. Uh, so if you play which of these characters are you most likely to receive a Tony nomination? Uh, would it be Peter Pan, Mama Rose, Eliza Doolittle, or Mrs. Lovett. Ooh. Like, if you play this person, you have either a Tony or at least a nomination. Eliza Doolittle. I'm going to say Mama Rose. And you are correct. <laughs> like, yeah. Mama Rose, like five different actresses have been nominated for playing yeah. Mama Rose, so go for Mama Rose <laughs> when you're the right age. So thank you both. Uh, you're, both you're both winners. Yay. 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 Oh, my God. And I want to take you to all of my, all of like my Trivial Pursuit games about theater. It's like, that's amazing. Okay, and we have like a few minutes left before we have to leave. So uh, we have some, yeah, we have some audience questions. Nobody this has like so, questions for <laughs> us. This is like so surreal because like usually just like it's deep and I just like looking at each other and just like complaining about the weather and stuff so like to to have like people here it's just like it's kind of weird it's like those like dreams of like when you're naked right with the, in front of like an audience if yeah. nobody has questions we'll just stare at each other and it'll be immersive theater yeah <laughs> or you all answer the questions <laughs> yeah this uh okay first question uh what is your hope for the future of uh theater hmm so many. Uh, I think we kind of so, talked. Yeah, we kind of so talked about hopes. this at mm-hmm. the at the beginning. Like, I just want to see like young people uh, go to the theater, which means that my hope would be to for tickets to be uh, more affordable. Yeah, cheap. Yeah. Actually, cheap. And I also like my, one of my hopes would be also to have like people stop shushing other people in the audience and like just let them freaking enjoy the the show. Um, I want theater, which is live performance, which is real bodies getting together to acknowledge that and give me an experience that makes me be happy to be alive. And if you're not going to do that, then make me think really hard about why I am alive. (laughs) I want theater that is dangerous. Um... I don't necessarily need to walk out feeling happy to be alive, but I want to walk out feeling anything. Because um, I feel like so often the theater I see, I'm just like, okay, that was a play. Um, and I don't want that anymore. I don't want to feel kind of like plateaued or jaded about theater. I want um, to feel like wildly excited or wildly pissed off. Deep. Oh, I, I thought I agreed with you on the cheaper thing. Yeah, cheaper. And more people like Max and Diana on stage making stuff, like being subversive. 
because when you see more than 100 shows a year, like you see a lot. Things kind of, kind of, kind of repeat themselves. You see what the tropes are, and I want, and like Max, like I want people who know how to break it. And last night I was at like I did a thirty-minute dance party at Diana's party, and that's going to be like one of the most memorable things I do this year at the theater. <laughs> awesome. So for our guests, who is your dream collaborator? Hmm. <gasps> <laughs> My mother. She is a drummer, and the only thing that holds her back from drumming is her stage fright. And she's incredible. And she won't do it because she's too, like, she's too scared. She can be on our podcast. No. She won't she do can it. Be behind the, she can be she be, like, behind the curtain or no? What's the point? Can't see. She's so cute and she's so great. <laughs> behind the curtain and just put a camera there. You're right. Yeah. Someone did that at a show recently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see this happening, but um, I really want to write a musical with Carol Churchill. Um, oh my god! <laughs> uh, I also think it would be like really cool to collaborate with um, the sci-fi writer Samuel Delaney on a musical, or like the filmmaker Hodorowski, who's like very surreal and did Holy Mountain. Um, I don't know. Most of the people I would like to collaborate to create a theatrical experience with are not actually from theater. Mm. I want to see you turn El Topo into a musical, Max. I'm down. Okay, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Just get some, well, yeah. I don't know. That's gonna. I don't. Yeah, we might get censored. El Topo. It's just like a musical. Uh, it's a movie where like half of it is just like this like little naked boy on a like on a horse, right? Going yeah. through an the desert for like three hours. What? Like a, a, a like an actual boy. Yes. Oh. And just like seeing all these crazy scenes of violence. Um, yeah, I don't know. Look up El Topo or Holy Mountain and get a little high before you watch it. <laughs> Probably not safe for work. Nope, not at all. Okay, so this question's for for you and I, Deep. Uh, How do you (laughs) how do you balance your mental health when covering problematic shows, or when editors ask you to cover a show solely based solely on your identity? Mm -hmm. So you go first. I think I still have. I still think I haven't figured it out yet because I feel like I'm still in a part of my life where I don't feel safe saying no to things. And so Mm. whenever people are like, "Deep, do something," I'm like, "Okay, I'm open to everything. Otherwise, it's all going to dry up soon, and I'll no longer be relevant." (laughs) Uh, Mental health, um, especially when it comes to covering problematic things these days, because of me I have all I've covered a lot of problematic stuff and so people tend to see me as a go-to for it and and I'm a lot pickier about like what I the issues I choose to cover sometimes I'll get an email saying oh my god someone's playing an a white person's playing an Asian person in like San Francisco we have to like write about it I'm like I do I though <laughs> do I feel like doing that right now <laughs> or do I just want to go home and watch television. Maybe I'll go home and watch television instead and leave that for another day. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the unfortunate things about, you know, being a person, especially being a person of color who covers theater, you don't, there's not very many of us, and so the people who are there, I feel like we kind of get stuck in this identity box of, oh, it's the Asian play, deep, cover this. Like, I, I can write about other stuff. I would like to write about other stuff. So I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. But staying home is nice. (laughs) Baths are nice. (laughs) 
do I have to answer? Yes. Also. Um, I, you know, like I, I became a freelance critic uh, in 2018, and I have to say that uh, money is very important for you to have, like, a, you know, good mental health. So whenever, like, I've been getting assignments based on things like that, you know, sometimes I just have to take them because I, I do need to pay my bills and I do need the money. So uh, this sounds extremely uh, corny, but uh, going to the theater helps me keep my mental health. And I always, like, Deep's always asking me, like, how do you go to shows, like, every night? And I'm like, uh... How? Yeah, well, I mean, Red Bull, espressos, uh, but also, like, just, like, being surrounded by other people who are there for, like, the same thing. It's, I told you it's going to be, like, super corny, but just, like, being sitting with people and just, like, experiencing something that, uh, you know, someone in the room's probably going to love, even if I don't love it. It's always just so refreshing. Like, I always... Every time I go to the theater, I feel like I'm... I suck at yoga, so theater is like my downward dog kind of thing in a way. Like I always come out feeling like super like chill. So yeah. Yeah, and I don't know how he does it because he had a a fever this week, and he still went to the theater. You went to see to kill a mockingbird while you were sick. I was not contagious, so (laughs) yeah. For starters, like if I had been contagious, I would have stayed home. But I was like, you know what? Like I have a fever. I'll just take some like. Advil and just like sweat it out and like hydrate and just go to the freaking theater to feel better. So right. actually, there's a question I'm I'm curious about because I love talking about money. So for <laughs> <laughs> or my lack of money. So for for Diana and Max, uh, how do you balance like the financial aspect of it with like being staying true to your own? inclinations as artists like have there been times where it's like oh I'll take this gig even though I'm not comfortable with it because it's going to pay the bills for a little bit I feel very lucky that um, I get to keep the channels open and um, you know it come, the, the money flow comes through as a performer or through commissions creating work or grants or um you know, it's whether I'm creating or performing, and there's, I'm very lucky and not lucky. I, I, whatever. It's great. It's wonderful for the. I deserve it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but for the past three years, you know, it's been a very nice time being um, a working artist, and I think that's uh, the channels that have that I've, that are open. Yeah, um, my work is like almost completely grant subsidized. I mean, to give people a window into what it is to be a musical theater writer, um, K-pop, which I think had like a one point three million dollar budget, uh, which was sold out before first preview, um, and I worked on for four so years. Good. I made four thousand mm-hmm. dollars on that show. I mean, I actually lost money spending the time it took to write that show. Um, but it was something I deeply believed in and, you know, getting things along the way like the Richard Rodgers Award or the New York Foundation of the Arts Award or the Jonathan Larson Grant, like those grants allowed me to pay my rent and um, and do that. Uh, and so far I've been lucky in that my expenses are pretty low. I mean, like, yes, I have fabulous fashion, but it's all goodwill. It's all just that I, I go into thrift stores like it's an Olympic sport and I get the gold medal every time. Um, but... 
I don't actually spend that much money on all of that. I just make it look like I do. Like, actually, my living expenses are really low. And for, you know, like seven years, I lived in a, a place that was roach and uh, vermin infested. And my rent was $500 a month. And that allowed me to be an artist and survive off the grants while I was writing The View Upstairs, which is now having 12 productions this year. And. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's that kind of thing. But hopefully, one, you know, there's this saying of like, in theater, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. And I'm really ready to kill people. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for the next <laughs> phase. We're ready for, bo- for the both of you to kill people. <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. So thank you both for being friends, <laughs> being our friend. Thank you. Thank and, you. And thank you all for coming. Yeah. So thank give, you, you. give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on the podcast, thank you. And also, please come because we, yeah, we should come back next year. So please come <laughs> next year. And uh, Max and Anna, thank you so much. We love you. And thank all of you. And Deep sent us out. Uh, oh, crap. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, there's more fun when you take a friend. Bye. 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 <laughs> I don't know how to do this.